Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that we're going to spend these ta this time together. Next couple hours is going to be a lot of fun. We've got guy talk uh, starting off here in just a minute, and then Pastor Sean Winters will be joining me as well in the second hour. We're going to talk about uh, shepherds from Ezekiel. That'll be interesting as well. That's what the program is all scheduled for today. Let me know what your questions are as we get guy talk started. You can send me a text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. You can also email me, bill, at myfaithradio.com. Power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner with a possible appearance by Agent 007, Justin Jepson. That's Whoa. the team. Panel, welcome. Love it. Thank you. Good to be here, Bill. Well, I, how do I get to be that 007 guy? You know, I... Too late. I, that's too late. Can't that's you be a pastor been, nope. and be a spy? Yeah, that's, that's you can be Dr. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Let me get started with a question. Uh, Psalm 139. I just love that. For you were formed, you, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. So our, our days, our existence and our days have been predetermined by God. Why do we struggle so much with it? This is something God has predetermined a number of days that we will have on this earth. Hmm. All well, it's kind of like when, I, several years ago, I cut two of my fingers on a bandsaw, Ouch. right down to the bone. Ouch. So I had to go in and have them stitched up. So I'm sitting in there in the uh, room where the doctor comes in. He comes in, he's a veteran. He said, now I'm going to give you three shots in each finger. It's like nothing you've experienced before. That metal bar on the left, hold on to it. You'll leave your fingerprints. Wow. And that's exactly what it was. The point was, I went in, knowing I had to have them stitched up, I had no concept of where it was all finally going and what uh-huh. I'd have to go through. Uh-huh. With the Lord, we don't see the whole picture. We see only from our perspective what the Lord is doing, and we don't know what's going to happen in the next minute, the next hour, the next day. And that's where faith comes in, uh-huh. because he knows what he's doing, and he knows how long we'll be here. But we've got to trust him for each moment. And, you know, I could say... The greatest tragedy of my life, God has probably used the most for his glory when I think of things. When I think back on my life and the worst time in my life, that's when God was getting me where he wanted me for his greatest glory. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Well, we don't listen well when things go well. No. It's only when we're in trouble. Yep. C.S. Lewis said something like, God God whispers to us in our joys and screams to us in our pains, something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I think you guys are nailing it. I think it's it, the future is always unknown, right? And so, and and because we have experienced, uh, most people probably listening. I know all of us in the studio that we've experienced difficult things happen in our life, and I don't think it's really any different than uh, when you've experienced one bad thing in your life. You, you kind of start getting a little flinchy that more bad things might happen, and and so it gets more and more difficult to to trust in God on behalf of the future. And and I think you have to take that understandable fear we have in the future based on past experiences and recognize that, hey, we're still standing at the end of the day. 
and and we're in a world that is uh, under we're under no illusion. And so even some of the events over the last 24 hours, we see um, that what was going on in Washington, D.C. is simply just a pattern that's re- been repeated over and over and over again, country by country, city by city, government by government, empire by empire over, you know, thousands and thousands of years right now. And so we should be under no illusion that the world is a very difficult place and, and it currently is in need of being redeemed. And because that's true, we are going to face difficult things. And then we end up having past difficult things. So we kind of flinch towards the future. Uh, and, and it just takes that that idea of saying, well, God still has me standing now. It doesn't mean it's been easy. I've got the scars uh, of a lifetime, but I know where I'm headed when this whole thing is going to be redeemed. And and I think if you can trust in the future restoration within the difficulties of the present, then then I think we can start, um, you know, entering in a different kind of place. But boy, I don't know about you guys. That's not easy to trust in the in the reality of the redemption of the future within the hardship of the present, especially when that hardship might involve the sudden loss of a loved one, the pain of a divorce, um, difficulties in your own life, the loss of a job, you name it, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. world is a really, really tough place to be in. Mm-hmm. When you're in pain, it's hard to be reasonable. And yeah. so you're hurting so bad and you want deliverance and you want it now. I think the problem is most of our life is to a degree what I call high-level pain relationships breaking up, things not going well, not getting that job, having financial bills, health problems. And in the midst of that, it's hard to hear the Lord. But Tom is right. It's when you hit that really hard spot that you begin to hear when you finally say, I can't do anything more. Lord, you've got to answer my prayer. Yep. And I like the verse where Jesus said, a bird does not fall out of its nest apart from our Father. Right. And And when I have a tragedy or whatever, I just, you know... I'm not saying it's easy, but you put Romans 8.28 over it. God promises to use this thing for my good. So that helps. I haven't done this before, but I'm going to quote a listener comment two days in a row. This is from my wingman, Terry, who said, there's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer to believers. Mm -hmm. How do we know dying is so dreadful? Who knows whether Mm -hmm. in our human fear and anguish we are only shivering and shuddering at the most glorious heavenly blessed event in the world? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting. I, the people I've been with, that uh, the many I've been with at death, and it's, it's a fair number, and I've written about it. But what's interesting, no matter how bad their struggle has been, inevitably, usually the last 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, somewhere in there, I felt the calm and the peace of the Lord come over the room, mm-hmm. come over them. Uh, I've had people in comas at the last minute say something about the Lord or quote scripture or say he's here, mm-hmm. you know, he's reaching out for me. And then literally holding their hand, watch them die. And it's peaceful. I, you know, I, I visited a lady named Gertrude at the hospital who was dying. I come back to the church, this is years ago, and I say to the Wednesday night Bible study, let's pray for Gertrude. And this woman starts praying, oh, Lord, please heal Gertrude and, and bring her to full health, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not like I had a vision, but almost I could see Gertrude in this dark, dusty room standing in front of a closed door. On the other side of the door was a beautiful paradise, but our prayers for her healing were pulling her back into the dirty room. And I said to the congregation after the prayer was, I I said, you know, if we could see what's on the other side of that door, we'd let Gertrude go. And and what I say periodically, you got to not say it at the wrong time, but what I say (laughs) periodically to people who are dying is, when we get to heaven, we're going to say, why did I scratch and claw to stay down there? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. so yeah, I... yeah, 
Go ahead. Please. Yeah, I was just going to throw in there. You know, it's 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 the great unknown, right? I mean, it's across the through those waters of death into new life. No matter uh, what happens, it's going to remain an, an unknown place. And I don't know about you guys too, but anything that I begin to anticipate that is unknown, whether it be going to a party filled with people that I don't know or some experience, you know, I I've, I begin to feel nervous and anxious and afraid, and I try to control the situation around me just to deal with those very mundane unknown things. But but death is this great unknown. And, you know, I wonder when you hear about these near-death experiences and people talking about been to heaven and back and stuff, I think we're understandably skeptical of those things. But I almost wonder if, if God doesn't keep an intentional barrier of unknown there in mm-hmm. front of us, oh, because sure. then our, our option is to trust. It's, mm-hmm. it's to do what Jesus did in those last moments on the cross when he said, all right, God, into your hands do I now commit my spirit. And and says it is finished, and he breathes his last. Like I, If the ultimate pathway into God's kingdom is the heartbeat of trust, where you lean your life fully into the hands of God, and that is the great remedy to the God-likeness uh, uh, that is the core of our sin, um, then I think that death is both scary, but I think it's an incredible invitation to what is the very core of our Christian faith, if we're willing to do what Jesus did on the cross and say, okay, I'm facing those waters of death into your hands, Father, do I commit my spirit? You know, Peter, two things I've learned, because I've interviewed a number of people that have had near-death experiences. Many of them were unbelievers and now are now believers. The two things yeah. I noticed is, number one, it changed their lives. It wasn't a temporary thing. It wasn't like a bad dream where you wake up shivering in the morning. It changed their lives and their relationships from that moment on. Number two, what it did is it literally uh, took away the fear of death, and they're wanting to go back and be with Jesus. And I've had several of them tell me they're mad they came back. Mm-hmm. They wanted to stay with the Lord. So there's something going on there that we don't fully understand. But whether we live or whether we die, I want to get to the point where I say I belong to the Lord. Doesn't matter. Can I tell a quick story here? Oh, please. You know, what you're talking about, there's a man who is the volunteer to run all the finances for my TV show. I mean, he's in his 70s, wonderful Christian man and and his uh, Christian wife puts in tons of hours for free running this ministry for me because <laughs> I can't do finances. He Years ago, he, he was in a construction uh, boss. He dies on the construction site. They mm-hmm. rush him to the hospital or whatever. He goes through the dark tunnel. He comes up through the tunnel. Here are these two forms sitting at a table saying to him, you have to go back. Yeah. And then he came back and boom, alive again. And I mean, I think he died. It sure sounds like it. And the doctors, I think, were amazed that he came back. But there's an, and I've told him more than once, I know why you had to come back <laughs> to run my ministry here. But, but, but I think that has helped. That has helped. Uh, but not everybody gets that. And some people have horrible experiences oh, they do. when they die. Well, there are hell experiences. I've talked to those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to, you know, I, I, it calls to mind the passage that Paul talks about when he refers to a man who was caught up in the yes. third heaven, right? Yeah. And, yep. and and then I think from that basis, you know, most scholars would, would suggest that was Paul himself just referring yes. to himself in the third yep. person. And then that is then the foundation of when he says things like, you know, it's actually better for me if I head back into those heavens, if I mm-hmm. die, but for a while I must remain yes. uh, among you. Like, what did he experience within those heavens when, when that veil was pierced for him temporarily? Mm-hmm. That made him so confident in what he did moving forward. I yep. think to Terry's quote, the wingman Terry, and what Bonhoeffer said, if we could even get a glimpse of the other side, I would just guess all fear would wash away. Amen. Amen. Let me take a little break. Let me know what your questions are. We've got the power panel in place, ready to go, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. 
can also email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll get your question on the air. You, you can, of course, remain anonymous if you like. Be right back. the show we're doing guy talk right now it is thursday just during the break we were talking about our favorite far side cartoons we had a lot of laughs, <laughs>, <We did>. <laughs>, <laughs> consistently funny yeah. one of my favorites was when all the piranha are down at this guy's ankle and one says just take a little nibble when they yell piranha then go nuts all right, let's get back to business at hand. Let me know if you have a question you'd like us to discuss, 877-933-2484. Uh, the Jude doxology, so Jude, verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. What does stumbling mean? If I remember right, some versions say to him who can keep you from falling. Okay. So falling, falling stumbling. stumbling. I don't think what does that, that mean? mean I don't think that, I think it means sinning. Okay. Uh, but did, I, I don't think that, mean, that wouldn't be too literal, though. I don't think that means that when I sin, I fall. When I sin, I jump for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, oops, how did that happen? Yeah. So, but I think stumbling in the Bible is, can be a reference to, to sinning. Yeah. I remember the first time I was in a play in high school. I had the lead. Huh. You know, kind of scary. And I remember my mom saying, I was, I was really nervous before I went on stage. And my mom said, Tommy, I believe in you, and I'm going to be there with you, even though I'm sitting in my seat, and you're going to do just fine. Hmm. Her belief in me was powerful. Wow. And it enabled me to do what I had to do, and I never missed a line. I did well. Stumbling here, as I look at the Greek, basically is not just tripping over something. It's the Lord affirming, hey, no matter what obstacles come to you in life, I'm going to be there for you. No matter what your foot hurts, and, you know, the older I get, I hit my foot a lot, I'm discovering, as I'm going to the bathroom at 2 a.m. in the morning. But the Lord is there literally to take care of me. And I think that's the assurance we have in Jude, that it doesn't matter what comes. Jesus will be there for you. Trust in him. Hmm. Yeah, that's my best shot at this, too. I mean, unless unless you think that this is somewhere off the top of the head, I'll let you guys go first so I could Google some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but interestingly enough, uh, I guess that word uh, stumbling, it says that it occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. Right. It is a, a reference to the stumbling of a horse, as a horse might stumble when it's walking down the path. Uh, and it does have to do, apparently, with exactly what you guys said, that the God uh, who can keep us from the temptations that are referenced earlier in the book of Jude about those people who are falling away uh, in sin. So that, that's, you know, again, one of the 97% of Scripture that uh, never properly studied uh, completely. When, there, when there's 30,000 verses out there. That's a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will honestly tell you, a week ago, I was very depressed. Uh, even as depressed as I was yesterday with all that went on in this country. But I was depressed, and I was sitting with my wife, and we were talking about this, and I said, you know, I keep thinking about Paul's verse, that he prays that he will finish the race, you know, and not come up short in the end. I said, my concern is that I run this race for the Lord, and then I come up short. And my wife looked at me, and she said, Tom, Jesus is going to get you across the finish line. And that's what Jude is saying. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hang on to because I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. No. But I'm gaining more and more confidence that Jesus will do what he said he would do. 
Yeah, Tom, the, I think the stats are, from what I understand, that it's somewhere around 95% of people who have been in vocational ministry for a lifetime um, finish the race uh, filled with some measure of skepticism and some kind of despair so often. And I think you, you're talking about a version of the Pearl of Great Price there that some people do find right. that allow things to be sustained for a lifetime, just sort of connecting back to what we talked about earlier in, in this program about the world being a tough place and, and there's fear and turmoil and all of that. And if our expectations are that we're going to have some measure of abiding long-term peace and joy that happens from the events of this world, that I think we're, we're going to be very, very susceptible to falling into skepticism and, and disappointment from those places. But if we understand an eternal abiding kind of joy that can persist in the midst of the difficulties of this world, then I think we can uh, start at least seeing the pathways of what it means to finish the race well. And, and what you just said uh, about leaning entirely into Jesus for that work to keep us from falling to do that, uh, boy, if we're leaning in anything else, I think we have a road of cynicism and skepticism ahead. Good point. All right, let's move on. Here's a question. If you sin, is it because you don't understand what God said? Because you don't agree with him? Or is it because you doubted him? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Next. Next. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, well, all yeah, of you have, right, guys? I mean, what do you think? Well, I, my thought is, when I sin, is it because I... If I understood everything perfectly, I would not sin because it's bad for me. But the the problem about sin is, sin is not rational. I can know something is really bad for me and do it anyway. Because sin is more than just an act that's a power. And so um, you can, and it is good to think through, why doesn't God want me to do this? And then you always end up, well, because he loves me and it's for my best not to do that. But again, knowing that in and of itself doesn't keep you from sinning. Yeah. But as a believer, the power of sin has been broken. It has. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you have to break it over and over again every day. (laughs) So if you sin now as a believer, you choose to sin. Yes, you do. That's where guilt is the most guilt ridden. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in 1 John 5, 3, it says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, that's why I'm asking the panel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it's compared to, you know, the, the uh, proverb says, the way of the transgressor is hard. And, you know, we th- it, it, it is hard to obey God, but it's a lot easier to obey God than to disobey him in this life and the next. Well, when I obey the Lord... Or I, and I treat people right, or I share about the Lord, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to wonder if anybody's going to catch me mm-hmm. when I said something that wasn't mm-hmm. quite right. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with sin is that sin never lets go. We sin, and it compounds, and it compounds into other people's lives, it compounds into my life, yeah. and that's where the burden is. I think what John is saying here is, look, doing what the Lord wants doesn't create a burden for you. It actually creates freedom. Amen. But sin creates the burden, and Amen. the burden will, will, it's like carrying 20,000 bowling balls. Yep. You know, it's more than you can handle. And who is it? Was it is a Jude that says these false teachers promise you freedom, but mm-hmm. they are enslaved to sin themselves? Yep. Yeah, and I think, uh, Bill, can you read that verse one more time? It said it was not burdensome. How did that yeah. verse finish? First uh, John 5, 3. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. 
Yeah, Ikash, I think one of the things that comes to mind is that to the extent that his commands have felt burdensome in my life, it, it feels like when I try to set out with some sort of version of a New Year's resolution where I'm going to go out and make all kinds of changes in myself and I'm going to have a perfect day and I'm going to you know, be lovely to my wife, I'm going to be patient with my kids, I'm going to be amazing with my students, blah, 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 all of these different things. And, and when it's me trying really hard to take on the character of Jesus in some sort of way, I'm going to fail inevitably. And I think that's why Jesus says, here's your job. Your job is is not to try to bear fruit on your on your own. Your job is to abide in the vine Amen. and, and right. to lean into. And mm-hmm. from that abiding, then the fruit begins to flow. And, and I'm going to lean into a quote from Dallas Willard here where he talks about the idea of the ongoing change as we take on Jesus's easy yoke of discipleship where it's not burdensome. He says that, uh, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by such character traits as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship from Jesus, our teacher. And then last part, from then the inward character, the deeds of love naturally, but supernaturally and transparently flow. And and what he's saying is that um, consistent with First John, where it says, we love why? Because God first loved us and, and that love comes from God, its origin it is from him. So if we try to go out and do a bunch of stuff, it's going to feel very burdensome. If we lean into the vine and surrender and submit on a daily basis, over time, uh, his sort of character begins to supernaturally, but even naturally begin to flow through us. Amen. So if we look at this and it says, you know, it doesn't say, I'm just getting back to my question. If you sin, is it because you don't understand what God said? For many, I would imagine there's uh, an ignorant unbelief. You know, if you're on a country road and you get pulled over and the cop says, well, you were speeding, and you go, I, I don't even know what the speed mm-hmm. limit is on this mm-hmm. country road. Yeah, I, I think there are people that don't have a clue that's saying, oh, my God, is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you point it out, really? I didn't know that was wrong. You know? And so you're right. There are people in that condition. On the other hand, there are people, I think all of us, that know something is wrong and still do it anyway, even though we know it's bad. But for that us. would be more of a decision to unbelief. I yeah. know it's wrong yeah. and I'm choosing to do it. Mm-hmm. That's got to be even yeah. way worse. Yeah. I would wonder, you know, with the Spirit, for, for a believer in whom the Spirit is dwelling, would, would the Spirit not bear witness that even if you didn't understand what you're doing was wrong, that there would be that sense of discomfort and disquiet yes. in your spirit? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I know I've experienced that unexplainable, like, huh. Something seems really amiss here, even if I can't name it. So, so I'm not sure about, you know, the understand. At, at the very least, there's going to be kind of this convicting stop sign that says you may not want to walk that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think within all Christians, if we're honest, there is a war going on all the time, a war of what I want, a war of what the world wants, and trying to press in on me, and the war of Jesus trying to get me to conform to His will. Now, a non-believer doesn't have any of that. He just goes with the world or goes with what's best for him. We have the choices, and it's in those choices who we are actually going to trust and lean into. My decision-making, apart from Jesus, is not very good. But when I lean into Jesus, that's when I have the power to make good decisions that not only affect me, but affect other people. And and to let other people be used by God to correct us. I mean, if you're not—a a, a lady told me two days ago, dear Christian woman, a, a, a friend of hers writes her a letter and says, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, on the letter, and she— gently said, you know, that's wrong. And she got this angry, bitter response. Mm. That, and it's so over the top that you could tell this woman does not know the Lord. So you got to be open to criticism. Well, I, I, when I went back to one of my class reunions, yeah, I'll tell you later. We'll, yeah. We're going to take a break. We'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more guide talk. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-93-FAITH. Can't wait to get your questions. We will ask them 
You can remain anonymous. You can give us your name. You, know, you can do whatever you like. We'll be right back. Guy Talk. Love to hear your questions. Love to uh, have you text them over to me at 877-933-2484. I kind of want to go back to this, um, what we just were discussing before the break. Tom, I think you've got a story to tell, but I also want to get us back on track. It, if you sin, is it because you don't understand what God said or because you didn't agree with him? Doesn't it seem that so many people, when they hear about God's moral law, they go, well, that I can't agree to that. Mm-hmm, that's right, too. And that's going to be the first thing that they're going to find offensive, and they're not going to want to hear anything else. Yeah. Well, that's true until it happens to them, until they're the one that gets cheated, or they're the one that gets betrayed, or they're the one that gets hurt. And I've had many people come in for counseling who have said, you know, I never really thought about this, but now that my daughter, you know, is is dating, I'm so worried about her because I was so immoral when I would date and go out with all these girls, and I don't want somebody doing that to my daughter. What do I do? Mm. And we talked about praying and talking to his daughter, whatever else, but it didn't hit him until he was in his mid-40s because all of a sudden it wasn't just him anymore. It was now his daughter. It's when that becomes personal that we begin to wake up to those things. If, if I, you know, and it is true, everything God commands me is for my good. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, that helps me to know that. And sometimes it takes a while to get that into my noggin because it doesn't look like, you know, in my fallen viewpoint that that's what's best for me, but it always is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, Bill, too, you're talking about uh, on some level uh, of that idea of the willful disregard, right? And and I, it just, that passage from Romans 1 always haunts me a bit about a description of, I don't entirely know who these people are that are being described, but they're being described starting in verse 18 of chapter 1 as the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. The creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And although they knew God, they neither glorified Him, their hearts were darkened, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the mortal human being. And, And I think Maybe the answer to the question remains yes, all of the above, but if you're teasing out one dimension of this, I think there's a clear characteristic among the human nature yeah, that since the days of Adam and Eve that has a, a propensity or a willingness to see what is good and right and holy and somehow then say, no, thank you. I'm going to carve out my own way in the situation. And so that willful disregard uh, of God's moral laws and, and even the beauty of his kingdom is, is a, I think, a very pervasive reality among the human condition. All right. A um, couple of comments came in. Luke said, sin is deceitful. It promises good, but gets you to take your eyes off Christ. And Herb said, when we sin, it's our nature. And he cited Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, I love this story. Here's a farm boy who has a very strange hobby. He takes manure. Is this a joke? No, it, it's not a joke. Okay. He takes manure. 
Well, kind of it is. But it's all right. He takes manure and he makes oh, sculpture boy. out of manure and he bakes it in the sun and then he paints it. Mm-hmm. And so he takes manure, makes a beautiful sculpture of an apple out of it and paints it red and it looks just like an apple. Mm-hmm. Point being, but don't bite into that apple. And that's what Satan does. He takes sin, he makes it yeah. look really pretty, and then we bite into it and we get sick. Mm. Right. Well, and I can speak from the perspective of my young people, too, now growing up generationally in a, in a gender-confused environment that has been persisting for the better part of 10 to 15 years. And in this case, I would say it's not as much of a willful disregard as it is an ignorance. They're, they're growing up with the assumption that people can be uh, gay or straight, uh, lesbian or queer, transgender, that it's just sort of up to them. And there isn't a knowledge any longer of the sin. And I think that speaks to what begins among a generation as a willful disregard, then ends up in a complete dulling of the heart and the senses and the mind to even know what sin is anymore. So I do think the answer to the question is yes, depending on, on the situation for sure. You know, there's a distinct difference between ignorance and stupidity. And please feel free to quote me. Ignorance is not knowing. And to a degree, that's true for a lot of people. The young people you're talking about, Peter, uh, even though it's deep within us. But when you do know, when you experience life and you begin to see the Lord's will and you begin to see reality, stupidity is knowing the truth but not doing it. And I think that's where most of us stumble and struggle along the way. We're basically, if you want to use the term stupid, because we know what the Lord wants. Mm -hmm. It's no great mystery that he doesn't want, you know, our daughter's molested. He doesn't want our sons doing evil things. He doesn't want us robbing our neighbor. And yet, too often we can justify it, whatever the circumstance, until we realize that it affects us personally or affects every, our family. Every time I sin, I'm being stupid. That's just the truth. So, And you're seeking comfort and pleasure apart from Christ. And yeah. that's a dead end. Yeah. Nothing there. No, there's nothing there. Well, there there is a temporary pleasure, or of we, would, we wouldn't do it. Of course. <laughs> but it's, there's not a lasting pleasure, that's mm-hmm. for sure. The people that I've helped, and I, I work with the ministry, helps people get out of witchcraft, which get out of, you know, tarot cards and palm reading and that kind of stuff. It's interesting because all of, almost every one of those people entered that because they were looking for power. To, to deal with the insecurities of life, to deal with the chaos of life, to deal with the cruelty of others. And so... Without realizing it, they kind of made a pact with the devil. They didn't, there was no formal ceremony, but it was kind of like they really wanted this power. The, <clears throat> excuse me. The problem is that power turns on them. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's it's like I read about a guy who uh, found a dog in the woods and brought him home. And until a year later, he found out it was a bear. You know, and the bear was tearing his house apart and coming after him. We don't know until it's too late if you get into that kind of stuff. That's why we want to help people get free now. All right. This takes us to my next question, which is continuing this discussion. When we think of the world, the flesh, and the devil, how do we best understand what is most threatening to our obedience? I'm feeling yes. if, I, if I quote Herb right now, who just wrote in, he would say, uh, it's, um, it's you. It's our own nature. The flesh. The flesh, yeah. And that's what Jesus said. You know, out of the mouth, you know, out of the heart yeah. comes that's evil a, thoughts, yep. sexual temptation. Mm-hmm. Didn't, he didn't blame the devil. He didn't blame the world. Mm-hmm. He said it's within us. My biggest enemy is within me. Yeah, and and I'm my own worst enemy in that sense. So the battle is always who's going to reign in my life, me or Jesus. Peter, you had something queued up? No, I, I mean, yeah, Googling I just, again, would answer, yes. 
Yeah, I don't have much quickly to add because I don't know how I'd parse that out again. I think, you know, you can make a case for any one of those um, areas. And, and I would suggest that all of them factor in yeah. for sure. But but I wouldn't dogmatically say, well, it's this, that or the other. We just know there's a whole spirit of disobedience and one big pot of stuff. So mm-hmm. is most of disobedience a long, slow road? I think you get to disobedience step by step. Mm-hmm. It's a little thing, and then you do just a little bit bigger thing, and then yeah. boom. So yeah. it is a long, slow road. Yeah, and yeah often well, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what I would call the long, slow road of it is the, the increased hardening of the heart, that you become deader and deader and deader until at some point you're just dead altogether uh, to, to sin. So I think it's one thing to say I've disobeyed God's law on some level, but I think it's the rippling impact over time that continues to harden and callous and harden and callous. And, and, uh, and, and you, you walk down this road of death long enough. I think it's C.S. Lewis that says for the people who have walked in that kind of road for a lifetime, if you were to see them on the other side, they would be a creature of such unimaginable nightmare uh, mm. horror that you'd only see them in your worst mm. nightmare. You can almost, I, I have a, a person that I know in my life, unfortunately, has been the athe- an atheist for the better part of maybe 50 years. And, and I'll tell you what, guys, I can see it on his countenance. I can see it in his face. I can, I can see... Um, just this despair and and um, stubbornness and and any number of characteristics that are the result of a lifetime of hardening. So, I wouldn't say that disobedience is a is a long walk. I would say that the hardening impact gets worse and worse the longer you walk within disobedience. Mm-hmm. Good point. Here's another uh, comment made from a listener who does a lot of work with young people, and he said, "Speaking of young people, here's one of over 50 questions that our youth group has put together." for our panel of experts. Hmm. And here's the question. How can God say he's better than us when he rules a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do policy? When does God ever say not-as-I-do? I've never heard him say not-as-I-do. Have you? No. <laughs> Next! That... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. That question doesn't make sense to me. That's I'm sorry. okay. It's put together by a group of young people, and okay. they're searching out their faith, and sure. hopefully the panel of experts I, on I, their I, end will... I, I need to be much more sensitive. That's okay. That was a good question. <laughs> well, no, no. It's, it's a question asked, and then I, no. I, I trust their panel of experts will respond accordingly. There are no stupid questions, only yeah. stupid well, answers. I, yes. I'll tell you what again. You know, Bill, I do I do a question and answer with my young people uh, where it's just wide open forum, and I do it in almost every class. And I think what it reveals uh, is people's perceptions of God, including ours, don't often match the reality of God. And and I think when you see that the stats that 40 percent of young people identify as religious nuns and uh, almost increasingly so in a secularized society, young people are not super interested in an organized church. I think what's hard about that is they they say they've rejected Christianity, uh, but what they've probably rejected is some version of it that may have taught them exactly what that phrase was that you just said. You know, uh, who's responsible for the view of God that would say uh, what what that phrase was that would lead a young person to think that that's true of God? And and I think uh, other than well, at least wondering right about organizational Christianity in some forms of it. Uh, I just I know so many young people that have been singed and burned and and turned off, and that's not to be negative about the church because I love the organizational church. I just absolutely do, but we also can't shy away that the primary stats are people's experiences too often are around gra- gossip and strife and power plays and division and turmoil and those kinds of things. So. I think that the invitation for all of us is how do we recapture the beauty and wonder of God's kingdom 
in a way that is compelling and bears witness to to a greater power at work in this world than the power that is in this world. So I sympathize with the questions because un- unfortunately I hear them all the time in, in terms of people's views of God and, and how they think about these things. It's, it's a tough thing. Well, it opens a door to what they're really thinking. And I, you know, I welcome those kind of questions out of adults, out of kids. It doesn't matter. But the way you come back is is not to slam them with the scriptures. That's easy to do. But to say, please, give me an example of what you're talking about. I don't understand the two things. Show me how God is inconsistent or whatever and or the opposite of the question. And let them begin to try to uh, state that because oftentimes it's in their talking about it. They really get to the real question. Mm-hmm. That's not the real question. It's a presenting question. What's the real question underneath it? And I think one of our problems in Christianity is that we don't take enough time to really listen to people, ask appropriate questions, and let them tell us the depth of their heart and what's really going on. You know, let's admit that the church, organized religion, is often a mess because because we're we're sinners. Still, we're commanded to be part of Christ's church. Uh, Hebrews, what, 9 or 10, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. And sometimes people say, you know, I don't like organized religion. I, I believe in God, but I don't like, I'm thinking, okay, what do you want, unorganized religion? And that's exactly what they want. They want to run yeah. their own belief system with nobody telling them what to think, or, including God. I know? always like when somebody says, and I say, when did you get that memo from Jesus? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't tell no, me that I can it, have him, but don't have the others. Uh, don't have the church. I, I'm nervous about people that have Jesus, but I don't have the church. Well, wait a minute. If you're part of Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. Yeah. And you're commanded yep. to be in the body of Christ. You know, I've actually yeah, said I think to that's people, so important. Go ahead, Peter. No, yeah. No, I just think that's so important. I think it's understandable to say I'm sort of done with... Uh, organizational Christianity, but at some point we can't be done with it. We're, we, we've been baptized into one body, Amen. right? And, and we need to figure this thing out together yep. on some level. Otherwise well, you are a church unto yourself and yep. that's nothing. Well, let's be honest. My relationship with Jesus is lived out in my relationship with you. It's not simply me and Jesus. It's I learned to love him through the things that you and I do to one another that are both right and wrong, the experiences you have, I mean, most of us do not get Jesus showing up in our room late at night and having a conversation with us. Most of us hear Bill's story, Tom's story, how Jesus moved and worked this miracle in somebody's life or how he moved in my life. When we subtract ourselves from that, we're really shutting off the voice of the Lord. Mm -hmm. He is the head of the church. He is the voice, and that's who we need to listen to. And he speaks through, well, you know, Tom, being a pastor like I have, after 40 years, some of the greatest voices I've heard from Jesus came from the most uneducated people I had ever met in mm-hmm. my life who were mm-hmm. elderly and did, couldn't rub two cents Absolutely. together. Oh, boy, did yep. the Lord come through, and, and it really it shook my life. So I, I encourage people out there listening to this, and you're a Christian, you believe in Christ, but you don't go to church, find a good church. Yeah, indeed. Do not forsake the assembling, Hebrews chapter 10. Tom Parrish, I didn't know I touched your life in such a significant way. Mm. <laughs> you did. <laughs> okay, good. <That's> big. <laughs> Let me take a short break. We'll be back with more Guy Talk. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Back with Guy Talk. So glad that you've 
joined us today. If you have a question, let me know. I'd love to ask it. Love to get you uh, an answer or do the best we can to provide some insight to whatever you are struggling with or a question about the Bible. I've got a bunch of pastors here and theologians, so take advantage of them. And this time, 877-933-2484. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, can, and this is really a softball question, but can you be sincere and wrong? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely sure. you can. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought softball question, but are you willing uh, to be corrected and to be rebuked? And I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. It depends on how much wisdom you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, way to the, tie that in, Tom. The person who's wise is ready to hear the truth. Yeah. The person who's not wise doesn't want anybody telling them what to do. And and I know in my early years of ministry, I thought I knew everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything is what it really came down to. And it was through a lot of errors and a lot of stumbling. And it was kind of like the Lord one night in my prayer saying to me, Tom, start listening to what yes. others have to say. That's when I began to grow up and I hopefully gained some wisdom. And Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Yeah, We don't do that enough in the church. But I will, tell, I will say this too, because I've been a pastor for low these many years. You know, sometimes people bark at you at the door when you're shaking hands. That's not how you rebuke a pastor. I had a lady come up, sweet Christian woman. Oh, Pastor Brock, can I set up an appointment? I, I need to talk to you about something. She came in. Okay, uh, can we pray before I talk? I, this is just hard for me. And, and, then, and then she rebuked me about something. But she was so loving and humble and kind in the way she did it. There's no way I couldn't listen to her. Yeah. So we, we, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. But you do it humbly and lovingly. But you do it, you know? Um, so. Yeah, all I can think about here, and it's absolutely useless, is that you can sincerely like the Green Bay Packers and be entirely wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I don't hold out a lot of hope for the hardness of heart that exists in that situation. So I, I don't know what you do there, guys. My uncle played for the Green Bay Packers. Really? My uncle uh, Charlie Brock. He was a big deal back in the year 19, what, what position 1940. I think he was quarterback. Wow. He was a big deal. Wow. Then yeah, I think. His, then, there was me. Money? <laughs> then there was me. Oh, what's that? Oh, I wish. Oh. I just I, I love the passages where it talks about you know coming off of the milk and growing up in in, in your salvation. I, I just think uh, to this day I'm sincerely <laughs> I sincerely think certain things and and uh, it's one of my favorite exercises that I uh, engage in in life is I have a very very good friend of mine who is a systematic theology professor and he just thinks really clearly and I trust him dearly and and so we'll sit out together and and uh, have a bite to eat or whatever and and chat over different things and I will sincerely sincerely believe something about a scriptural passage or God's kingdom or something like that. And sometimes he'll look at me and he'll say, well, that's just dumb. And, and he'll then sort of expand <laughs> as to why, but well, we have fun and we laugh. And, and when you're pursuing things from this, this authentic sense of, I really do want to know the kind of truth that in ongoing ways sets us free. And then you have a trusted other to do that with then you you don't have to be afraid of being sincerely wrong. What you have to be afraid of is if you're not willing to change when yep. the evidence presents itself that you are sincerely wrong. Mm-hmm. One of the things I try to help young people understand is that being a disciple of Jesus does not mean just obeying the rules or right. wearing the right garments or saying the right things. Being a disciple of Jesus means that you spend your life pursuing Jesus to be just like him. 
to know him so well that you think like him in every situation, you talk like him, you behave like Jesus because he's flowing through you rather than it's just simply you. And that's that's a struggle for a lot of people. I, I never heard that in seminary. I, I rarely hear that in Bible studies. You know, but think about it. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is pursuing Jesus, the real living Lord, so that everything I do reflects his reality in my life. Which means I have to have quiet time with him regularly. Yeah. I can't I can't live the Christian life on my own power. That's why I need to pray and be alone with him and yeah. be part of the body, take communion, you know, everything else. Peter, I just had a comment uh, come in from Deborah saying, hmm, that was an unwise statement you made about the Packers. <laughs> and the problem, Deborah, is I have absolutely no legs in which to stand. My beloved Vikings seem to be in their offseason already. So, so Deborah's right. <laughs> I'm the fool on this one. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting question about hypocrisy. Jesus called out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, but never once called the apostles hypocrites. What's the difference? Repentance? Mm. I think I think we're all hypocrites. <laughs> okay. I, I really do. And and I I just remember a a guy that was trying a pastor that was trying to get a guy in the church who never went to church while well, the Hope Lutheran church full of hypocrites and the pastors had room for one more and that comment got him in the church believe it or not. And the, you know and they say church is full of hypocrites. Well that's why we go. If we weren't hypocrites we wouldn't need the church. Um but then but there's two kind of hypocrites. The hypocrites that are hypocrites with the capital H and then there's those that we know we're hypocrites and we're working on it, you know. Yeah. Those now, are the believers. My understanding of a definition of a hypocrite is somebody who what's ever going on in their hidden interior world is entirely different than what they present out for, for the public kind of That's thing. Right. And and to that extent we all are. I agree hypocrites. I think the difference is 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 somebody uh wanting to continue to play that game of pretend or are mm-hmm. they are they wanting to see an alignment come between those two worlds. And I the disciples in my understanding were desirous of actually becoming Christ like and, yes. and seeing that change. Whereas the the religious leaders of the Pharisees are like, we're just going to keep pretending so we yep. can hold on to our power. That's a good piece. That's right. Well, I think they not only did they pretend, I think they really thought they were right. That's part Mm -hmm. of the problem. They really thought they understood the law and what Yahweh wanted, and they didn't. And you think about it in Scripture, Jesus went after the religious leaders. He minced no words with them, but he was gentle with his disciples until his disciples began to not do. I mean, like, you know, Lord, we we went out and we couldn't cast out this demon. And he goes, yeah, it's because you don't have enough faith, Mm -hmm. you know, or look at the seven churches of Revelation. I mean, some of them got some pretty bad reports. They certainly did. And those were the people following the Lord. So I think that what we haven't done well in Christianity is hold our leaders accountable to the word of God. And we've allowed them to say and get away with too many things. And that's where we get in trouble. And and what did Jesus say to the Pharisees in John chapter 8? You are of your father, the devil. Yeah. And when people say, we're all children of God. No, we're not. Jesus said the Pharisees are children of the devil. Right. We're all created in God's image, but we're not right. children of God. We're all so creations we're adopted of God. into his family, That's right. according to John yeah, one twelve. Uh, right. And, and uh, Galatians says we become children of God through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. We're God's children through faith in Christ. We yeah. hear that all the time, though. We're all God's children. No, it's wrong. I agree. <laughs> there, there's... There's the old uh, Christmas hymn, with God as our father, children all are we. No, we're not. We're brothers all are we. No, we're not. I always have to turn the volume down on Tom (laughs) Brock. I'm sorry, I can't help it. You're so loud. I can't help it. Yeah, but it's very... (laughs) There's a fine line between turning it down and turning it off. (laughs) (laughs) Very very loud. (laughs) Uh, Peter, any thoughts on that? Any other thoughts? I think I'm tapped out on that one, yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, he, th- he thinks I'm too loud, too. <laughs> oh, about, about Tom being too loud? I like it when Tom sings. Thank you. Yeah, I like it when he sings, because you have a great voice. But I just got to yes. do it quietly. Well, you can just, it's the tone. It's, it's you, a Bill. more gentle thank, tone. Thank you for rebuking me on the air. <laughs> <laughs> There's no better place to rebuke you than right here thank on the air. Because so if we get off here, I might forget it, you know? You but right now, I'm not forgetting to rebuke you. That's okay. Thank you. There. <laughs> yeah, at least you didn't go to the other extreme. That's good. Uh, let's see. It is the opposite of living as a hypocrite, living as a person of integrity to some degree anyway. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think integrity is just that um, you are who you are behind the scenes as well as in public per, per, uh, perception. And so I, I, you don't have to be out. We've talked about this on Guy Talk before. It's not like you have to be out there explaining and proclaiming all of your sinful reality. But I think to be the kind of person who walks in humility because you recognize that you don't have it all together and that you then treat people accordingly, that we're all walking towards that cross together. I think that's a lot of what integrity is about, is that I'm not trying to pretend I'm something different than I otherwise am, but boy, that goes back to what your view of God is, isn't it? If if you know God is for you and he's not afraid of the mess that you're bringing, if you're willing to walk in authenticity with your mess back towards him, uh, he will then shape and change you. And, and so I think, to me, integrity it, it revolves a, a lot around that kind of process. I heard somebody once say integrity is not perfection. Integrity is simply being honest. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Me too. All right. We're going to continue guide talk for about 30 more minutes after the break. So we're going to come up at the top of the hour, take a short break, and be back with more. We've got several more questions coming in. Also, if you've got uh, a prayer request, something that's really of, of great burden in your life right now, and you need to reach out and you need to share it, you need to let us know what it is. You can send me exactly what that is. We'll pray for you. We've got all these pastors here. We're ready to go uh, to prayer to help uh, lift you up and, and encourage you. Uh, you can send it to 877 877-933-2484. You can also send any more questions you have. I still got some great questions coming in, and let's take advantage of the guide talk as the power panel is here and in place. We've got pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner. Peter, are you in for the next thirty, or are you gone? See, he's already gone. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, in for, I'm in for the next thirty. Oh, awesome. Okay, <laughs> we'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.